Lisa Wichadon on F104 and I'm joined by the founder of Orb Media, Kira Sheehan. Hello. Hello, Louise. How are you? I'm good. Last week, we finished off our chat about the metaverse, mentioning the Grammys and how they're trying to include AI in, the, in their award judging. What did you find out over the past week? Well, if someone would ki- kindly come and rescue me from this rabbit hole yeah. of AI and the Grammys, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> so sorry. So, <laughs> so the announcement was made and there was a bit of head scratching and how is this going to work? Um, how can you possibly award a Grammy to AI? Well, previous to this, we had the conversations about Grimes, mm-hmm. about her saying that she would happily take on an AI written song and she would split the royalties, etc. So... Momentum is gathering in the music industry from a helicopter view. Mm-hmm. So this came out and we all kind of got into the into the roots of it to try and take it apart. So the headline is that if you could create a song or an album that involves AI, you may enter that piece of work into the category for the Grammys. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, that piece of work must include meaningful human creation, according to the rules. And according to the Academy, they are trying to find a sweet spot to make sure that they honour the music and the key creators who have worked so hard on making the album. This is according to Harvey Mason Jr. He's the CEO of the Grammys and he's worked with people like Tony Braxton, Justin Timberlake, Beyonce, Aretha Franklin. So, you know, a lot of big names. Yeah. So in trying to protect the human aspect of an AI award, they decided that 20% of the creation must be allocated to human creation of the song. So the wranglings that followed afterwards was a lot of conversations about why the 20%. Yeah. Like 20%. So that means that AI could make up 80% of the song. Which seems like, a lot. How is, yeah, it seems a lot It does me. seem a lot. Mm. So because it's such new technology, they're engaging with like tech guys in Silicon Valley. They're engaging with um, the copyright um, legal side of the business mm-hmm. to try and understand it. So they've said that they don't know if 20% is the right number. That's fair. At least, I kind of feel like at least yeah. they're going in and going, we're not sure, but we're going to give it a go and try and bring this new technology into our awards as well. Yes. And it's quite scary when you think, like you would think that someone like the Grammys would have this completely locked down, would have it sewn up, it would be solid, watertight and equitable. But the thought process is out there for anybody to read. And I, what I found amazing was it said, is 20% the right number? Is 33% the right number? Is zero the right number? Mm. They don't have the, dif- the definite answers. But the committee voted at 20% and then the trustees of the Grammys approved the 20%. Okay. So they're going to go with that and see how it works out. And I suppose the thing is AI can't win. So it's whatever the human creator on the song is. They're the ones that will actually win the award. Yes. So there's two things. They're counting on people submitting the songs to be honest. Okay. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you can, you can disconnect between the functions as a human you want to do and the functions you want AI to do. So they want to continue to honour the humans and their participation of a creation or a piece of work, knowing that there's AI in there. Mm-hmm. So if you're the human and you wrote the lyrics and you did the track, 
but AI sings it, they won't disqualify it. Okay. Because it's AI in there. Alternatively, if AI writes the song and the artist says, I don't want to write it, I just want to sing it, AI is not eligible for the Grammy, but the artist is. Which makes sense to me. But then does this mean that the, the singer who has chosen to sing an AI song will go up against the singer who's written their own song? Yes. Well, if, we think well, so. Well, no, because if you haven't used AI, you're not going to be in the AI category, are you? Okay. So there's different categories to the AI categories. Yes. Okay. But I don't know if they're going to figure out can a, an AI ingredient in a song mm-hmm. win Song of the Year? I don't know. Okay. I, th- I think there's still a lot. I think they're even figuring out more to it. I don't think they've fully gotten to a, an end no. point yet, but at least they're trying. I kind of, I like that they're giving it a go and seeing that it's so huge and that it is just growing and they're trying to move with it. So that is probably a plus. It is a plus, but what made me laugh was there's a big piece in one of the music trade magazines about how the like really top line um songwriters are using AI mm-hmm. for lyrics mm-hmm. and they're putting in a lyric uh, write me a song about um, two bags of coal and a diamond right and then AI spits at the lyrics and then they say make it more meaningful and all I could think of was David Bowie <laughs> when he did it mm-hmm. in 1973 with that machine algorithm he created where he instead of tearing up pieces of newspapers um, he put all the words into like an old like um, PC uh, document and it spat it back out and what struck me was that these guys in the music industry think that this is amazing and it's exactly what David Bowie did all those years ago like a long time ago yeah he, he was way, but he was wrong. always way ahead wasn't he though uh, yeah a million years absolute million years now don't get me wrong I'm going to qualify that by saying I do understand that AI can do things like like spit out midi breakouts of gems that can be used in songs and it can take pieces and it can kind of like help them grow and help them you know format into a new track or into into a new piece mm-hmm. so i'm not saying that ai is it is a simple one size fits all shoe it's not because there's so many different functions within the creation of a track and within the music industry where ai has a role to play but they're all nearly separate yeah and i think it's nice that we're embracing it I know it's a little scary and I don't fully understand it myself, but I think we're better to embrace it than to try and ignore it, to be honest. Well, the Grammys are very much on that page as well. Mm -hmm. And the head of the awards is a lady called Ruby Marchand. And she said, you know, that for producers and for musicians who'd spend their life trying to play and learning to play um, uh, an instrument perfectly, to realise that AI can literally do that in a nanosecond is scary. Very scary for them. Yeah, I can imagine. Absolutely. However, it does mean if you want to get five or six different instruments on a track and you can't access the musicians or can't afford the musicians, the technology will help you Do achieve that. your end goal. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting. It's exciting to see where it will get to as well, I think. So we'll have to sit on Well, that I love the you. fact, yeah, they're, they're being so honest about it. 
like yeah. that's the thing about this technology you have to be honest with the I don't know yeah yeah exactly <laughs> we don't know but we're, we're giving it a go if it doesn't work we'll change it <laughs> yeah and it's gas like because the only thing that doesn't say I don't know is chat GPT it never <laughs> says I don't know oh really didn't know that <laughs> no it doesn't <laughs> excellent <laughs> now if anyone has listened to our little segments over the last couple of weeks they would have heard you speak about Birkin bags and the NFTs that were made as part of these what has happened since we initially spoke about it? Okay, so this is basically like the East Enders of the metaverse, this <laughs> case, right? So very, very quickly, this guy called Mason Rothschild, who was an NFT artist and creator. His real name is Sonny Esteval, not as exciting as Mason Rothschild. But anyway, <laughs> the fact he picked that name tells you everything you need to know, I think. So he decided that he was going to take inspiration from... The Hermes Meta, uh, the Hermes Birkin bag, the original Birkin bag created in 1984, very hard to get, a very rare handbag. I think it was once the most rare handbag in the world, mm-hmm. and a beautiful bag with a limited amount created every single year. There's a waiting list for them. Um, a lot of people would know. So this guy decided he was going to create an artwork in inverted commas, um, based on the Meta, based on the Birkin, as an NFT. And the, all of the press at the time was all about, you know, eco-friendly because they were all kind of finished in different textures of fur. And there's no fur on a, on a, on a Birkin. Mm-hmm. But they were all finished with these like unique furred textures. And the whole thing was, this is a great way to drive yeah, environmental awareness. You know, this is much better than having a bag, et cetera, et cetera. So he released 100 of them. He sold them starting price for about $450 each. They went on to sell for mad money as an NFT. Like one of them sold for twenty three and a half thousand dollars and he got seven and a half percent of all the resale. So basically people put their NFT on the the done deal of of the metaverse and he got money again. So Hermes eventually decided they were going to take action and they were going to sue him for trademark infringement, for um, diluting the brand, for confusing the customer. And the case went to court and it was a real David and Goliath court case. Rothschild's defense was he used the First Amendment in America. So it was freedom of expression and free speech that he was taking it as art and as inspiration. So this has all gone on in court in New York. And it was a, a jury, a normal people jury who were trying to figure this out, which I thought, God, that's crazy. But anyway. All the big guns were pulled out, like guys from Harvard came in to say how it affected the crypto market, how much money he made, etc. And he still played a really good role. He still like really was doing David and Goliath until his text messages were brought up in court. Mm. And the text messages made it really clear between him and his co-creator that it was never about the creativity and the artist. It was about the money. They knew exactly so what hence, they were doing. Yes. Mm. So hence he lost the case wow and in that case i think he had to pay legal damage and i think he had to pay about 1.1 million to hermes which is nothing to them this was all about the like, like protecting the, the rights of brands mm. and it was a, a landmark case in the in this industry because it sets the precedent and the standard for every single other brand out there so wow. anyhow everybody kind of stood back to see you know what would happen and how it would work out and then yesterday, it was announced that the French label won the lawsuit mm-hmm. against the creator 
with the jury saying that the virtual bags are not protected by the First Amendment and that he wasn't able to approach it like an entry into the Wild West. What's going to happen, the NFTs that were sold? So I was having a look at that and somebody sold one secondhand and they were sued. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were sued um, and fined as well because they made money off it and they shouldn't have done it. Right. Yeah. So like it's it's a big it's a big case because that's probably going to go on for a while unless they take them all down or take them all back. It, yeah, and you see, people paid mad money for them. Yeah, 23,000. So, I'll buy you I a know. bag. <laughs> well, it actually would buy you two bags if, you, if it was the one, if they weren't that rare and they were new. Yeah. But they, like, in a way, they kind of tapped them on the wrist. Like, they wanted to pay 133,000 in damages. Yeah. Um, For the label's trademark rights, okay. which is nothing to them. Mm-hmm. But it's probably a lot to him. I'd say so. As an artist. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's going to be massive legal fees, although the legal fees weren't discussed. Wow. Um, in the closing documents, yeah. I'd kind of forgotten about so, it when we'd stopped talking about it. I hadn't realised it was still going on all this time. So that's that's huge, and that's huge for NFTs as well, because I suppose we're still learning about the laws around them as well and where they stand and what exactly it's going to affect. So that is an interesting case, and probably one that will probably be brought up over and over again, I'm I, sure. Yeah, I think I can see that being taught in schools, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's also um, it's also a good way to show the boom and bust of the NF- of the NFT industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that the year that he was in, in the middle of all of that thing, the size of the market went up to 40 billion. Wow. 40 billion. And now it dropped massively mm. in the last 12 months, which is a lot to do with crypto and it's a lot to do with the boom and bust of it. Uh, but like it is a landmark case and a real learning curve and it also sets the tone for how do brands actually leverage NFTs in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Jay, and it also teaches people not to play with big brands. Don't don't go messing with them. They'll soon take you down very, very quickly if they think you're affecting their brand. Thank you so much for chatting to us. You're welcome.